All God's people said? That's great. Thank you, Walter. You can be seated. Thank you, Allison and Chris. Thank you so much. Your Bible's open to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. I love the passage that uh, Robbie read. And I asked him to stop where he stopped because, of course, number one, it's incredible to think about because, and just I'm making the spiritual application now, okay? says, you know, because Lazarus had been resurrected from the dead, they not only came to the house in Bethany, Martha and Mary in the Lazarus house, to see Jesus, but it says they also came to see Lazarus, who had been resurrected from the dead. May I remind you that the Bible says that you too have been resurrected from the dead if you've been born again, spiritually. It's not a physical resurrection, but it's a spiritual resurrection. And the Bible talks about our new life bearing witness about Jesus just like Lazarus' physical resurrection bore witness to the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. Then the next verse, in verse 10 says, because of Lazarus being resurrected from the dead, the, relig- the Jews, the religious leaders of Israel, sought to kill him along with Jesus, because His life was an offense to their, their way of life. And I think about the world, how the world reacts to our new life in Christ. Is, is it offended by our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ? I love that little passage there. So he was, his life had been resurrected from the dead, and then the evil ones, the world, the worldly part sought to kill him and hush him, Hush him up because he was such a witness for, for the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Mike Cohn is going to be passing out a handout. And please don't go ahead of me, okay? Uh, we have uh, Mike and Michael and Mike are passing out. And, and little Mike back there are passing out uh, um, our handouts this morning. I don't do this all the time, but I'm going to do it this morning. We are in Ephesians chapter 3. Kind of to set the tone is as I, I'm going to read a couple of verses in just a second. Obviously, uh, out of Ephesians three, we want to talk about the power, maybe really, really the power and the purpose of the gospel this morning. Um, Paul teaches about you know that death no longer has its sting. You know, the last enemy, um, I thought about that twice this week. We went to a service. Zach, was that Monday or Tuesday? All of it runs together. Monday? Tuesday? And then we had another one uh, Friday. And, uh, uh, and I kept thinking about what Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, that death is swallowed up in victory. Think about that. And the victory is Christ conquering the grave. And because Christ lives, the Bible says we will live also. Now, that's not talking about just spiritual. It's talking about physical. So one of the great promises about our salvation is not only were we brought from death to life from a spiritual condition, you know, dead in sin... But one day we have this guarantee that we're going to have a physical resurrection. 
And this, there's so much theology with that. It's, when you think about when, when the church was born, let me just let me chase a rabbit real quick. When the church was born in the book of Acts, at Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, Pentecost, that is also called the, fir- the Feast of First Fruits. And, and of course, Peter preaches at Pentecost, and folks are saved, and the fruit, the harvest comes because Christ is resurrected from the dead and has ascended to the Father, and His Spirit has come in power, so folks get saved. And that's the beginning of the work of the church, where the gospel can be preached and lives can be changed. That's the power of the gospel. The new birth, transformed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's, a, you know, there's, there's two great doctrines when you get saved. There's justification by faith. You know, that's the judicial part. So we, that's when the Bible says you're in Christ. So His history becomes ours. We're in Him. So God looks at us as being in Christ. So that's justification. That means judicially we get Christ's history. And He was perfect. He didn't deserve to die. He was a substitute. So we're in Him. So we're justified by faith. The other part of the coin is sanctification. Because He saved us and regenerated us, given us a new life on the inside, now we seek Him. Our goal in life is to be like Christ. That's sanctification. Sometimes we call it progressive sanctification. So this morning, we want to talk about you know, the power of the gospel, the, the, the power of salvation, uh, the power of the good news. And I mentioned to you last week, the word gospel comes from the word that means good message, really great message. Uh, you, it's a big long Greek word called, it's really the word U-E-U and the word angelos. Euangelion is how you pronounce it. Angel's a messenger or a message. So it's good message. It's good news. That the gospel is good news. So anytime you see the word gospel in the Bible, that's, that's the word. That's the Greek word for good news. The gospel is good news. That Christ Jesus came and died for our sins. Let me th- give you just a thing that's interesting. When you're leading up to the first Passover, you know, Christ is our Passover lamb. The first Passover, when the Egypt when Israel was released from Egyptian captivity. This is interesting to me in God's economy and I guess biblical history. It's just fabulous how God organizes things. But in the ninth plague, so interesting, the ninth plague, and it's okay. Uh, anybody know right offhand what happened in the ninth plague? There was darkness over the face all of Egypt, right? Egypt fell into darkness in the ninth plague, right? And the Bible, and for three days, that's interesting, isn't it? Three days. So, so Egypt was in darkness for three days. And it says that it was so dark, they could not see one another. Now this is just the Egyptians, they were in darkness. Every household. And it was so dark, nobody could leave their house. Matter of fact, in the text it says it was pitch dark. Isn't that awesome? It's a darkness that, that's beyond dark. It's pitch dark. And they couldn't leave their house and they couldn't fellowship. But then the Bible says, I think it's in Exodus 10, that in every home of the Israelites it was light. Isn't that amazing? Now you think about the world we live in. Everybody that does not know Christ, the Bible says they walk in darkness. And folks, spiritually speaking, it's pitch dark. 
But those of us that know Christ, we walk in what? The light. Uh, now think about John 1. In Him was life, Christ. And the life was the light of men. So this is why Christ would later say, you are the light of the world. Because He is inside of us. The tenth plague, so you go from the ninth plague, darkness. Pharaoh doesn't repent and let the people go. So the tenth plague comes and it's the death of the firstborn. And uh, that's where the idea of Passover comes from. The promise was if you apply the blood of the Lamb, and I don't know if you've ever paid attention to that, but the Lamb, they went and picked the Lamb and kept it for four days before they sacrificed it. They had to bring it inside their home and become intimate with this lamb that was going to be a substitute for them. Just like Christ is our kinsman redeemer, He became one of us to redeem us. So for they had the lamb and then on the Passover, they, they sacrificed the lamb and took its blood. They ate the meat, but had a feast, but the blood was applied to the doorpost. And, the, and it says there, and, when, and He says when the death angel comes, he says, I'll see the blood and I will what? Pass over. Then the Bible says that Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, has been slain for me and you. Folks, that is the gospel of the good news. And I love, just a, in the book of Joshua, what, not long after that, well, 40 years later, they enter the promised land. And you remember the 10 stones? 12 stones, I'm sorry, not 10, 12. 12 stones that... God commanded Joshua to lead the children of Israel to find 12 stones out of the Jordan and place them in the promised land. Uh, in Gilgal really is where it is. But as they entered the promised land, there's these 12 stones and each stone had the name of the son of Israel, the tribe of Israel written on it. And they placed these 12 stones and they're called stones of remembrance. And the stones of remembrance, and it says something like this, it says, so you place those stones... So when your children ask, why are these stones here? You as a parent, as an adult, can tell them about the great salvation that God provided for Israel. Well, folks, that's what we need to be doing. We need to be talking about the great salvation that's been provided to us through Jesus Christ. Now, in, in chapter 3, Ephesians 3... Uh, just, I just want to read verse 6, 7, and 8, I think, because it has the word gospel a couple of times. I want to mention a couple of things. Then we'll look at the answers to your sheet, okay? This mystery, verse 6, Ephesians 3, 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, because that's a freak, you know, Jews freak them out. They struggled with that. Um, Acts 15 talks about that struggle and... Many didn't think this could happen, but it did. This mystery is that the Gentiles, that's me and you, are fellow heirs. Uh, by the way, that's adoption. Everybody that is saved, the Bible describes in the book of Romans, one of the parts of salvation, if you want to say, is that not only are we justified and we're in the sanctification, but part of our salvation is an adoption that the Father adopts us into the family so we inherit what Christ earned. 
It's, it's just a word that Paul reminds us of to, to, to help us understand the riches of our salvation. That you know, we're just not going to heaven and escaping hell, but we're inheriting a kingdom that Christ earned. We're inheriting that as heirs. And so whether it's Jew or Gentile, Christ saves, you're born again, and you are adopted into God's family. I love what he says. So, you're, so Gentiles are fellow heirs, Members of the same body. Uh, every church is a body of Christ. So in that, those days, it was an issue. You know, Jews and Gentiles didn't get along. The point would be, if you're saved, you're members of the same body. Same church. Uh, body of Christ. And partakers, I love that because it's the word partner or joint partner. Uh, you're in the same boat. You could translate it in the same boat because that's how it's used in the fishing context in John's Gospel. And partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. Whether Jew or Gentile, how were folks saved? They were saved by the preaching of the Gospel. And then Paul says, Of this Gospel, I was made a servant. By the way, you're a servant of the gospel. Now, Paul is an apostle, and his role is a little bit different, obviously, than ours. He was part of the founding of the church, right? The foundation of the church, what the Bible says. He was a, the Bible says he's an apostle born out of due time, after the fact. But we know the resurrected Christ appeared to him, so he is an apostle, qualified apostle. But he says, of this gospel, I was made a servant according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. So, Paul didn't seek it. God gave it. Uh, Our calling, we talked a little bit about this last week, our calling, now not salvation calling, but our calling to serve Him and our gifts are from grace. We don't earn it. We don't earn, the, it, but he, he, it's by His grace He gifts us and calls us into the ministry. And all of us, the Bible says, are called into the ministry. We all can be servants in the kingdom. And, and again, I've said this numerous times, and I, I don't mean to be redundant, but, but Peter mentions two different kinds when you're people that have, all of us that are, I'm sorry, all that, is, all that are saved, part of that salvation is when He makes us new, He gives us gifts, spiritual gifts, at least one. Peter breaks it down into two different kind of gifts, serving gifts and speaking gifts. So if you're here today and you've been saved, transformed by the grace of Christ through the gospel, you've been gifted, at least with one gift, to use in the body. And it can be a serving gift or it can be a speaking gift. Most are... Serving gifts. And so the word Paul uses for minister there in verse 7 is the word servant. According to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Let me tell you a couple of things about the riches of Christ. And just think, okay? That, when Paul says the unsearchable riches of Christ, number one, I'm just going to give you three quick ones and then we'll look at our handout. Number one, 
Jesus Christ, through His life and death, delivers us from the wrath of God. Every, every sin that we've committed, every fault that we've had that we're disobedient to Him, everything we failed to do makes us guilty before the Lord. But in salvation, we're no longer under wrath, but we're under grace. And God will not pour His wrath out on us, whether it's going through the tribulation or whether when we meet Him. It's not at the great white throne. We meet Him at another throne. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And He rewards us for our obedience. So we're rewarded for what we've done. We're not cursed for our sins. So the unsearchable riches of Christ is, number one, is He delivers us from the wrath of God. Number two, He declares us righteous. The unsearchable riches of Christ is I get His history. This is why He obeyed every, every legal demand of the law. He was perfect. And, the, and Jesus says this many times in the Gospels, that He was doing things because that's what the law required. And so he was so that history has given has been given to us. So when we think about the unsearchable riches of Christ, while we preach Christ and him crucified, it's because he he delivers us from the wrath of God and and he declares us righteous by giving us his history. This is the whole, you know the Bible speaks about this when it says you're in Christ and Christ is in you. That that pictures all of those things. You're in Christ, right? So all of His history is yours. And then Christ is in you, so now you're empowered to live like Him. In Christ and Christ in you, the hope of glory. So these are part of the unsearchable riches of... Can, I cannot believe that Christ substituted His life for me, His life for mine. I love the song. That... That in salvation, Christ took my place. So now I, we talk about and preach and proclaim that good news. You know, I think I mentioned it last week about a, when we talk about heralding the good news. Um, it's not the word just preaching. It, all of us are heralds. That word comes from a, a, town, a town crier is what they call them. A, it's like a, an official that would go to the city square and would holler some good news, like some king's coming to town or somebody's coming through. You know, he was announcing good news. That's, so we have a message. We have, we have the good news to share. And folks, there's, there's no other way people are saved. Let's look at our handout. And, and uh, I'll try to be brief. I'll give you the answers. And you can think about these things later. I may refer to it next week. But it says, The power and promise... In the Gospel of Christ, uh, let me ask you a question. I was uh, one of my favorite Bible verses when I was after I'd gotten saved when I was sixteen. Was I Isaiah sixty four six, and the end of Isaiah sixty four six says that our righteousness. Now l- listen to this, okay? Isaiah sixty four six. It says the end of the verse says our righteousness is like filthy rags. So, so even when we are somewhat obedient, even when we are living the Christian life, we are tainted with sin. And, and compared to the holiness of God, it's like we're a bunch of filthy rags. 
This is where the imputed righteousness of Christ matters. He's our substitute. He gave His life for mine. Not only did He shed His blood, but He lived His life, the Bible says, for me. Uh, I love Hebrews uh, 7. I think it's chapter 7, verse 25. It says, He is able to save to the uttermost those that draw near to Him. I love that word, uttermost. He is able to save to the uttermost all who draw near to Him. Jesus Christ is our Savior. Number one says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. That's a great encounter with Nicodemus. Now that word born again, uh, it can say born anew, born again. The language there, you can study it for yourself. The same thing is said in in John 3.3. Same passage, John 3.3 uses the same word. You must be born again. You can also find, if you do a word study, and you can do that, you'll find that that word not only can be translated born again or born anew, it also can mean born from above. It's interesting when you do a word study. So Jesus says, and He says to us, you must be born again. And He's not talking about some physical birth, not some physical miracle. He's talking about a spiritual miracle. And this goes into the first Adam and the last Adam. You were born once as a descendant of the first Adam. And as a descendant of the first Adam, you're born a sinner and in sin. But you're born again in Christ. And you're given us, the Bible says in 1 Peter, an incorruptible seed. That God saves you and plants in you His incorruptible seed. It's His seed. And He makes you new. It's awesome. So you're born again. The Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. 1 John 4. And folks, this goes back to the Tower of Babel when God rejected the nations and decided to pick Abraham, a man who was a pagan when He called him, and said, I'm going to make of him a great nation. I'm going to marry this nation and they're going to be my people. Then His people failed, so He became the true vine. In Christ. That's Christ came and established a new covenant, a covenant of grace, not a covenant of the law. And uh, so, so he said, now in Christ, everywhere people hear the gospel and can be saved. It's not geographical, it's universal. It's not, you know, the good news is not just a nation. The, the gospel of Christ goes to the world. And this is part of John 3 16, for God so loved the world. Because in the old covenant, He had forsaken all the other nations and Israel was His people and Israel was supposed to tell all the other nations about the salvation that is in God. But they didn't most of the time. They ended up being like the world. So now now you know why Christ came. And and that's the significance of the book of Acts and what happened at Pentecost when everybody, every language on the face of the earth heard the gospel. Just an incredible reversal. So the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And of course, if you study evangelism or people trying to fulfill the Great Commission, uh, the gospel going to every crack and uh, corner of the world in every language. Uh, that's the goal of Southern Baptist. And that, I mean, there may be some remote tribal groups somewhere in some place that may not have a gospel witness, but they're trying. By the way, in the tribulation, 
this is kind of an interpretation of what the text is saying in some places, but it seems as if that's fulfilled in the tribulation when an angel preaches the gospel to the whole world. Anyway, so it's to the world. Anybody can be saved. Third one, Jesus said, I have the keys of death and... You can say Hades or hell. Uh, Jesus said there's a hell. Jesus said there's a hell 12 times. More than anybody else. Jesus said there's a hell. And it's real. And uh, it's... He has the authority to condemn people to hell, to save people from hell. That, that's he, He's God. He's Lord over hell. It's one of the great doctrines of the Trinity. Because of His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. There's a second one. Caused us to be born again. Generally the same word. It's kind of set up grammatically a little different, but it is it's almost the same words. And the rest of that verse says, Uh, He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope that one day the dead in Christ will rise first. And those of us are... So along with our spiritual resurrection, from spiritually being, you know, Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, but God being rich in mercy made us alive together with Christ. You know, Ephesians 2, 1 through 4. Besides the spiritual, there's a physical promise that one day there's going to be a physical resurrection. This is all of what 1 Corinthians 15 is about. It describes the resurrected body. And, and so, so, folks, you know, this is why when we go to funerals, we do funerals. If a believer has passed, this is not the end. Folks, that's easy to say that. The difficulty is, is believing it when you've lost a loved one. I, and we, I've buried dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens. Buried my own parents and on and on. You, know. you say that, but, and it's easy to say it's hard to live when you're going through the experience. But the truth is, why did Christ come and why did He conquer the grave? To give us a living hope. That life, and see, death is an enemy. I was thinking about that in all of our events this week. and That's why it hurts. It's, an, it's not in creation. If you go back and study, it's not supposed to be this way in creation. Now, God's allowed it because it glorifies Him when He saves to the uttermost and gives a spiritual life and physical life for the future. I mean, it conquers the devil and shuts him up, but... But it still hurts. It's an enemy. And so we have to realize that's what hurts so bad. And I think that has a lot to do with why Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus in John 11 before He resurrected Him. It's just, it's, you know. Uh, plus, if you, people that have no faith have no hope. Uh, it tells us that in Ephesians. No hope without Christ. So, so born again the second time. Okay. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the Word of Truth. Isn't that awesome? I love, that's James. That's the, that's the half-brother, as we'd say, of Jesus. Saying that, that anytime somebody wants to talk apologetics, that's, you know, we want to defend the faith. The book of James is incredible. Jude, too. The book of Jude. They're both half-brothers of Jesus. 
But if you read James, James is saying that his half-brother is God in human form. Now Jesus obviously was the eldest, born of a virgin, but, but James says, Christ, my half-brother, is God. That is an incredible witness about the reality of the humanity of Christ, but the perfection of Christ. And that's the history you get. You get His history when you believe in Him. That's part of salvation. Uh, so where where he, he brings us forth, as He's describing birth, brought us forth by the word of truth, hearing the gospel. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans 1. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 That's one of my first sermon I ever preached. I used that verse. I will tell you that verse is wonderful. My My first sermon was not. It was ugly, to be honest with you. It wasn't too pretty. Um... Scared to death. I've told y'all, um, I don't know if it's a spiritual battle that you face, whatever. It's just um, every preacher, I'm 62 years old and I've been here 23 and a half years. 18 of that in this pulpit. But you still get a knot in your stomach when you get up. I tell you all the time, the devil's all over you. We, uh, if you're a Sunday school teacher, you know what I'm talking about. You, you know, the devil tell you you're an idiot and you're not worthy to be doing it. You don't know what you're talking about. I go through the same things. But in Christ, we're new. That new creation. Old things are passed away. It says, behold, all things have become new. It's, a, it's almost like a Wow. Old things are passed away. Wow, all things have become new. And you have to ask yourself, does that describe you? Were you, when you claim to know Christ, were you made new? A little article I wrote uh, went out Thursday or Friday, I can't remember, but hopefully... Maybe you didn't read it because I do some. I tell you something. I went through. Somebody called me the fat. Did anybody read it? Short, fat, bald man. Uh, but uh, anyway, so uh, but in there I mentioned that if you know him, then your life's been changed to be like him. Not perfect, but you have a new life. It's his life in you. In you. Uh, Paul talks about this a lot in Romans 8 and 9. I mean, he's in us. And, and so we, we bear his image. Uh, uh, Ephesians 2, go back to Ephesians, we're his workmanship. Uh, created in Christ Jesus unto good works is who you are. It's part of the new creation. He's made us to be like himself. It really describes a beautiful work of art. We're a work of art. Grace. We're a trophy of grace. And and he wants to display that to show, hey, here's people I saved, just like 
just like Lazarus was physically a miracle of God's power, you're spiritually a miracle of God's power. I love what Colossians 1 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us in to the kingdom of His Son. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and and then it says in verse 13, and conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son. So we are new, brand new. It says The next one says, To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus. And that's eternal security. We're the beloved in God because we know the beloved Son. This is my beloved Son. Two things he said, this is my beloved son, I'm well pleased in him. And then he says, this is my beloved son. Listen to what he says. And we're in him, we're in the beloved, and he keeps us for Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you once, you were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2.13. tell you something that's interesting. Um, I read this and, and it made sense to me. Hopefully, this scholar was talking about, you know, when, when Christ was on the cross and He breathed His last, several things happened. Uh, physical things to manifest that the Son of God died. You know, uh, Of course, part of that was it got midnight in the middle of the day. It was pitch dark for three hours. But when Jesus breathed His last, there was an earthquake. Right? Matthew talks about the tombs being opened. And then the veil rent. The veil in the Holy of Holies. Interesting. And how was it torn from where? Top to bottom. But now here's what this scholar talked about. Yes, it was torn from top to bottom when Christ paid the price, right? When He said it's finished and He bowed His head and gave up the Spirit, right? Still surrendering His life. The veil was torn. The veil was torn, but it wasn't removed. What what tore the veil was Christ's death. So there's not free access to the presence of God, is there? It's still through one man, correct? The God-man, Christ Jesus. So so Christ is gives us you know, the presence of God is only accessible through Christ. So when this scholar said, "Well, the veil was torn," and it is. Or was. But it's not removed. Christ is the one you have to go through. Um, somebody was here last week and they had talked to somebody and that's related to our church and they had been saved and so they're telling me about it. And they had the, they were uh, they had a track they had used. We've used it, I think, a lot, the spiritual laws. But in, in one of the, if you ever use a track to witness, um, you know, they're little tracks. You know what I'm talking about. One of the pages had... Uh, it had man's sin and God's righteousness, and there's a gulf between it. But in the illustration, it had a cross that bridged the gap, and it said Jesus, and Jesus bridges the gap. So, you know, the veil has been rent, or was rent 2,000 years ago, but it wasn't completely removed. The reason it was rent is Christ died for sin. And so when we believe that by faith, we have access uh, Let's, let's finish. We're, through, we're out of time. He set me apart, Paul says, before I was born. You know, anything you think about the new birth, when, when we talk, my argument to you would be, 
When you talk about salvation, you have to confess that it is a God thing, it's not a man thing. You know, some of us, I'm a little bit more right than some when it comes to election and predestination. But the one thing that's clear is that salvation is not a work of man. No one can make themselves be born. You cannot make yourself be born again. It's a God thing. And so what Paul mentions here is God set him apart before I was ever born. You know, David says that when he was in his mother's womb, God knit him, fashioned him in his mother's womb. Knew every, he, David says, you knew every part of me. Um, Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Newness of life. The word walk always is talking about your, your mode or your style of life, your lifestyle, uh, your, your way of living. I always think about it. I always think about when walking in Christ's likeness, so to speak, or walking in newness of life. I always think about a spiritual uh, pedometer. You know, we think about a pedometer that measures steps, you know, uh, how far you walk every day. And, uh, but there's a spiritual pedometer. It's the Word of God and the Spirit of God measuring your, you being faithful to this new life you have. Uh, because you have been... You have been spiritually resurrected, dead to life spiritually, and you've been called to walk in a new life. It's just a different life, folks. This is why worldliness and living. When you and I live like the world, we talk like the world, buy into worldliness, we lose our witness. We one of the main modes of witnessing is it begins with being different. Um, Not being perfect, but being different. And if your testimony should include, I once was this, but God saved me and then I became this. Um, So we walk in this stuff. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, Colossians 3.1. Seek the things that are above. Folks, this is what in Christ is seated at the right hand. He, he's, rule, he's the ruler. Um, he's our great high priest and He ever lives to make intercession for us. Um, I think about... Um, the, you know, when he, as the king, we're brought into his family. And so this is why Peter argues in 1 Peter 2 that we're royal priesthood. That we're all priests in God's family. And priests are to sacrifice and serve. Just think about that. Royal priest. But we're kingly. We're royal priesthood. We're serving the king of kings and lord of lords. And, and this is why we give our lives for him. Uh, you know, Christ said several times, you know, if you're going to find your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, that means if you lose your life spiritually, not dying, that's one thing, but you forsake your way, you want to go my way. And if you lose your life 
following me spiritually, you'll really find life. If you want to know what life's all about, serve and obey Jesus Christ. That's what Christ was saying. Um, Last one says, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's there in Ephesians 4. I want to give you one verse. Uh, I know I'm, I'm late, uh, but let's just do one verse. Go to Luke. Go with me to Luke 5. I find this so interesting. Luke chapter 5. It's one, this is one of those uh, illustrations Jesus gives that I don't think about a lot, but it is very profound when describing the, the, new, the new Christian life. Luke chapter 5. And we'll finish with this, uh, Luke 5. Uh, Luke 5. Hold on now. I got Don't give up on me. Luke 5. Uh, Okay, verse. Uh, let's just pick up at verse thirty-three. Okay, Luke five thirty-three, and they said to him, "The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink." And Jesus said to them, "Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them?" Just saying, you know. I'm with them, and so it's something to celebrate. So if we eat instead of following some of these religious rules, he said, and uh, so he says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. Now again, I want you to be thinking about the new life in Christ. Okay, No one tears a piece from a new garment. And when I read this, of course the apostles were following Christ, they were living a different kind of life, following Christ, that's us, the new garment. So look what he says. Um, No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. Folks, that should be true of everything we do, say, act, thought. That should be how we live. We don't want to tear the new and put it on the old. It just doesn't match. And he says, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Obviously because it's going to burst them because of the fermentation all that. It says, you don't put new wine into old wineskins. You know, uh, listen to me. We say we believe. We really do. We All of us will confess, I believe this. But if we believed it, we would want to live it. I think sometimes we believe it sometimes and other times we don't believe it. I think about what the devil said to Eve in the garden. One of the first things, well, really is the first part of the temptation. He says, uh, indeed, has God really said? He, he asked Eve, 
he, qu- he asked Eve to question God's Word. And folks, for since the church age began, the church is supposed to be submissive and obedient to His Word. I mean, you have to be honest. All of us pick and choose sometimes what we're going to be obedient to. Am I new? Do I walk in newness of life? Am I so separate from the world, it's like I've been born from somewhere else? Because that's because I have. Am I an alien in this world? Or am I at home? Because the Bible says I'm just passing through, I'm an alien. Listen to this, it says, uh, the popular lie that many believe is that the eternal, all-knowing Creator and Redeemer, God, the Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, will pardon, regenerate, and secure a person in heaven even though that person has no intention of repenting and forsaking sin and following Christ. Now think about that. Jesus Christ does not save people who are not repentant. Not, I'm not saying they're so, just sorry for their sin. That word repent means forsake. There are so many people that have made a decision, but that decision was no more than signing a piece of paper. The Bible says we must read. The first thing Jesus preached, John the Baptist too, before they talked about being saved, you know the first word they used and it was a command? Repent and believe the gospel. When we repent, because we hate our old life, and trust Christ, the Bible says we're made brand new. That's the power of the gospel. That's what everybody needs to hear is the gospel of Christ. Amen? Let's stand together. While you're standing, let me mention one thing, and and I know it's the last minute, but I'm going to ask you to think about staying. Now listen to me, and and I'm going to preach just a little bit. I know I'm 7, 8, 10, 15, 30 minutes late. 25, whatever. It's late. Listen, um, we have a Sunday school workers meeting right after church. We're feeding you lunch for everybody that works in Sunday school. We need workers in Sunday school. And we're going to talk about organization. We need to start some new classes. We need more workers in Sunday school, whether it be children, preschool, or adults. If we love Christ, then we love the Bible. We love to teach the Bible. If you want to grow, start teaching, because it'll force your hand to study. So if you didn't think about it, but I just said it and you're interested, I want you to stay. i got some people staying. They're not teaching right now, but I want them to hear what we're going to talk about. So if you'd like to stay, believe me, we've got plenty of lunch. We want you to stay. Thank you for being here. Let's pray. Father, thank You that uh, it's true. Your life for mine. That's the power of the Gospel. Thank You, Lord, that I died. There's an I that died. The Bible says, I've been crucified with Christ, yet I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. There's an I that died, And there's an I that now lives. And I live with Christ in me. Father, I pray that's true of everybody in here. That they too 
know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord, for the work of the church. Thank you for worship in Jesus' name. Amen.